Hello, fabulous Friends fans and superstars. Welcome to Synchronicity Web TV. I am your host, Nadia Shaw, and this is your moment of synchronicity. Well, I'm so excited to celebrate with you today, Carl Klemek. Now, Carl is a astro meteorologist, which means that he brings the study of weather and astrology together. And this is actually a part of our tradition going way back. And we're going to talk all about it and also look at possibly some trends that are coming up, what the astrology says about weather trends. Uh, I think we're going to have a wonderful discussion. And it is Carl who is coming to the Canadian Astrology Conference. Now, this conference is coming up very soon, the weekend of September 15th, 2023. And not only is it going to be a party, but you're going to learn a whole lot. I hope that you can join us in lovely Calgary, Alberta, but you can also join us live online as well. And so we have so much to talk about here. Carl, thank you so much for being here. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm excited to get to know you and especially to talk about the connection between astrology and weather. So why don't we start there? Because I know there's a very long tradition of that. How has astrology been used to predict weather patterns in the past? So traditionally, uh, astrometeorology began way back in early Greece with an ancient uh, philosopher, Aristotle. And so he began the process and then it just sort of through generation and after generation got passed on the most uh the next famous person that we know of is johannes kepler he was a very famous astrometeorologist and so basically how astrologers use astrology to forecast the weather is uh using ingress charts specifically we study seasonal weather trends studying the solar ingresses the four cardinal points of the year so specifically, Aries for spring, Cancer for summer, um, Libra for fall, and Capricorn for uh, the winter. And then we study uh, weekly forecast trends by studying the lunar phase charts. So every lunar phase, so roughly lasting about a week, um, there's a shift in weather patterns around the world. You can also study Mercury ingress charts to study wind patterns as they happen. And so basically by combining the, the the two, specifically the two charts, the solar ingress charts with the lunar phase charts, you can really begin to um, understand the weather patterns, not only for your region, but globally as well. I know that there is certainly the tradition of um, farmers' almanacs, right? And so yeah. there is this understanding, uh, at least that almanac has been around for a few centuries where farmers could get it and it would tell them something about what to expect because with a farmer, their relationship to the weather is that much more heightened. It becomes that much more important as part of uh, how fruitful, literally how fruitful they will be that given season. And so that's a very immediate way that uh, the, the way in which astrology and the weather connect becomes a very lived practice uh, that is, it seems like a part of the lives of people in ways that they may not realize they are practicing astrology. 100%. This has been, you know, um, whether it be knowingly or unknowingly used by farmers, especially for countless centuries. Farmers had to um, monitor and uh, educate themselves about nature, about patterns in nature. Um, 
you know, the fact is, and people right now, uh, nowadays, we take uh, actually the weather for granted in many ways. Um, but for human civilization, the, the weather literally can be a matter of life and death. It can be a matter that will allow a civilization to prosper and thrive or to collapse. That's how important the weather is. The weather's not good. You're not going to get crops and then you're not going to have food. You know, the weather um, gets really bad in your area. You literally could risk your own lives if you decide to go on a, a, a little walk or a trip or it could affect your home, your literal physical home. You know, the first thing that we tend to look at when we go outside, what's the weather going to be like? You know, what should I wear? What can I expect? You know, so it even force it even influences things like fashion. You know, it influences things like, uh, you know, our health and well and our health and wellness. So when the weather begins to change, we know that, you know, we have to take better care of our health sometimes. Heat waves, not good for the body. We have to take precautions. Cold snaps, same thing. You know, so those are just a couple of examples of how vitally important knowledge and understanding of the weather and climate is. It even creates wars between countries. You know, when a certain country is all of a sudden hit or impacted severely by um, um, uh, terrible weather, um, all of a sudden, let's say they don't have enough food, they don't have enough water, they don't have, and their their society begins to struggle. That can force them to go look for other resources in other lands, and that can literally create wars between countries. So this has global impact, not only personally, but to us as a civilization. So it's it's huge. It's huge. Our economy, look at the stock market. Our economy is based in a huge degree on weather. It's it's you know travel, event planning, um, your health. Uh, Food, literally, everything is dependent on the weather to some degree. It's a very recent phenomenon to have control over our climate in these enclosed spaces to the degree that we have them or, or we have control over them now. And, you know, especially being mindful of the weather, I do have to say, because I know most people who watch me may not be Canadian, but as Canadians, we really need to pay attention to those extreme weather alerts. I'm in Toronto and I know that every winter, well, I, I'm not normally here in the winter for many, many years now, but in the winter, there are like cold alerts, right? Like, be careful, don't go outside for more than two minutes or you'll freeze. And there's like safe spaces where people can get heat. But the yeah. reverse is also true in the summer where there will be heat wave warnings and they'll say, don't go outside for more than two minutes. And they'll set up these community spaces with air conditioning so that people can be safe. And in those climates, yeah, paying attention to weather patterns becomes that much more an experience of how much it is linked to our survival. A hundred percent, hundred percent. And, you know, it's, it's, it's something that I think people like you mentioned earlier have gotten out of touch with um, in so many ways because we have created so much of this uh, artificial artificially created climates, microclimates in which we all live in, right? So a lot of people don't even go outside anymore uh, to look up to the sky, let alone try to figure out, you know, what does that uh, that type of cloud mean? You know, does that mean that there's rain coming or does that mean that, 
you know, there there could be a storm coming. Um, people don't look up anymore and they don't, they, you know, they mostly go outside to go and do their thing, to go from one enclosed climate to another enclosed climate and just back and forth. And so we, we, we really, unless you're creating an outdoor event or you're going on a vacation and you want to have good weather or what have you, then we kind of look at it that way. But you're right, like people here in Canada, like us, who are very, we have such extreme climate, such extreme weather events here um, year, all throughout the entire year. Um, it, it, we were forced to look at the weather because it can literally be a matter of life and death for us. Yeah, well, it does determine uh, what we're going to wear, that's for sure. But I do remember the years ago when I did live in downtown Toronto, and I would literally like bundle up so I could go hang out with my friends. Like the weather is no excuse not to do all those things that you want to do. But I also remember a year that I spent in England when I was uh, in graduate school. And it was incredible how the uh, like a tiny little bit of snow, the whole country would just shut down. Everything would stop. And I think it's about what you get accustomed to, how prepared you are, really. Because in Canada, we have more snow. We're a lot more prepared. As soon as yeah. the snow starts falling, there's lines of trucks with salt all ready to go, people <laughs> ready to shovel. Uh, yeah. They have an infrastructure that just isn't there in the places where maybe they aren't as used to these extreme yeah. weathers that actually now more and more places have had to get used to more than yeah. ever before. Yeah. 100%. 100%. I mean, uh, the shifts and changes that are occurring in our climate right now are forcing the whole world to bring weather into our daily consciousness. And that is, I think, uh, in my opinion, it's both a really good thing. Uh, I, first, I think it is a really good thing because it's bringing it into, you know, public consciousness, into our own awareness. But it's also challenging because at the same time, people are now being made aware of how important and how critical knowledge of the weather is. And so, yeah. You mentioned that people are so used to now going from enclosed space to enclosed space, regardless of the weather outside. Um, I was recently asked about, and I have to, I was planning to figure out how to talk about this as well animals and their relationship to astrology. And as you were talking, I was thinking about how, yes, our, uh, the indigenous cultures in particular, and in particular in the Americas, we know that they were very in tune with understanding the different types of clouds, the different shades of the clouds, and what that would mean for the weather of the day or the weather that could be coming up for us. Um, and I think that maybe animals, they are so accustomed to paying attention to the the cycles and, and the they've developed a sensitivity, haven't they? An instinct or an mm -hmm. intuition in order to understand because they have to literally live with the alignment with the cycles of weather, which ultimately is also connected to the cycles of the planet. What do you think about that? Oh, 100%. 100%. Every creature on this planet is naturally, instinctively attuned to, you know, Mother Earth's climate cycles. You know, why is it that when the tsunamis hit, um, for example, in Indonesia, 
um, they didn't find virtually any animal bodies anywhere. They all left. The humans ran to the beaches while the animals went the other direction. You know, um, they, they they all are, have built-in not only instinct, but I think um, sensitivities and tools that um, align themselves with the changes. You can see it in the changing here in Canada, um, the changing of the fur on some of the animals. Like um, So when, for example, you start to see the colors of the fur begin to change from white to a darker color in the spring, you know spring is starting to happen or it could, you know, Case in point, there's many times, you you know, in uh, January and February, I'll look at the rabbits and you'll see their fur start to go from white to dark, darker, 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 you know, and their natural brown color, the other, their other natural brown color. And so you'll know already in January, February, so you know spring is just around the corner. And sure as dandy, spring happens a lot earlier. But if they're still white, their fur is still white into March, you're like, oh boy. <laughs> we're gonna the winter is gonna keep going until at least may and so and it, it's right on the money so they have these tools the birds they they know when to come and go here in my area in alberta where i hear robins they come into the spring if they come late i know winter is gonna last a lot longer if they come early we got an early spring and never fails you know what's fascinating is you know i have a turtle pet turtle she um, hibernates in the winter, and every time here in Alberta, we get these weather patterns called Chinooks, which can it can be minus 35 one day, and then in the morning, and then the afternoon, the strong wind blows in, and it raise the temperatures up to like plus 15. That's how fast it can happen. Well, the, the, my turtle, she comes out of her hiding spot um, when the temperature rises up. Uh, usually about a day or two before a Chinook hits, without fail. So I'll come out, go get a drink of water, and then go back into her hiding spot. But she comes out two days, exactly, right before Chinook hits, every single time. And if she doesn't come out of her hiding spot, and we're in a cold spell, I know then that I know this cold spell is going to last. She's an incredible weather forecaster. But that brings up to the that brings to the point your point of how animals have have to be attuned because it's life and death for them to these natural pattern cycles. Humans, we've gotten numb to, to these cycles. And um, so, you know, trying to reconnect ourselves with nature cycles can help us reconnect with our own cycles because we are in such a, um, I don't think people even realize how much weather shifts and patterns change their moods and they change, you know, their how they feel and, and both physically, mentally, and emotionally. It, it's, a, it's a huge thing. And of course, the planets that we study with astrometeorology, they give insight into all of these different types of patterns and, and, and phenomena, which is what makes it so cool to when you, you read the charts and then, you know, you, you, you read a chart a week before or you want to read it, you know, even a month before. And then the week comes that you place the forecast for and you start to see those changes happen. You go, wow, you know, not only is everything connected here on Earth, but our entire solar system is connected. And how, where the planets are, there are these subtle energies that are not so subtle when you're on Earth that influence everything. And it's just fascinating. It's just fascinating. 
It sounds really fascinating. And I know I do want to ask you about some upcoming weather patterns. I'm looking forward to diving into that with you. And thank you uh, for mentioning all the different techniques that are there, because I know uh, your talk with the Canadian Astrology Conference is going to be astro meteorology, uh, and you'll be teaching some techniques that people can start to apply mm -hmm. to cultivate that relationship that you mentioned. Correct. Yep, that's my goal. I'll be teaching um, the variety of techniques that has been traditionally used in astrometeorology to forecast the weather. So I'll give you some tools to learn how to forecast uh, seasons, so seasonal forecasts, as well as weekly trends, weekly weather forecasts, and touching on you know some of the, the root elements of how each planet affects the weather in their own unique ways. Wonderful. And uh, like I said, everybody, we are just going to, in a moment, look at some upcoming trends, uh, Carl giving us his insights. But before we move forward, I do want to ask you one other thing, because this is something I was asked, uh, someone left a comment recently, and it's uh, been something that's really stuck with me. And so we've already sort of talked about it a little bit with animals and how in tune they are with the cycles. But the the person specifically, the viewer specifically, was asking about um, urban sprawl mm. and how, you know, those of us who, because uh, I know now for the last few years, my parents, they've had this pattern of, you know, going further and further out into the boonies. And that makes it that much more challenging when I do come home and I do hang out because I'm such a big city girl. Um, but I have noticed that as well, that as this urban sprawl is taking place, it's like human beings are saying, this is our space. And then the animals are having to adapt, but they're still there. And and yes, this, this comment really affected me because I remember, you know, getting up when I was going to school out in the boonies um, and seeing roadkill and how heartbreaking it was to see that uh, so constantly. What can you tell us? What insights can you give us astrologically? What, what do you think about um, this phenomenon that takes place where we are having to have these moments of looking at uh, the toll that is our modern life and and what that's who's really paying for it, which is the natural world? What are your thoughts as I share all this? Hundred um, percent. Well, so two two points to this one. Um, looking at it from uh, uh, the basis of, like you said, urban sprawl, which obviously uh, is, and this is, you know, everybody right now is talking about climate change, climate change, which is definitely happening. And, and there's many reasons for it. And again, I, it's a very complex subject and something I'll definitely, I think we'll be discussing in the conference. But um you know what people also what's you know are not talking about as often is what you know what what accompanies urban sprawl is um basically the destruction of habitats okay or habitat destruction all right that in and of itself has a huge toll on nature and also affects climate patterns as well you know the more trees that you cut down the more water that gets diverted the more um, wildlife, um, because wildlife has an intricate place to play in terms of how um, the environment is balanced. So beavers are a perfect example. You know, they have this amazing ability to create these dams, create these 
giant pools of water, even divert water. So when droughts come, the forest is actually saved. Tons of studies and research has shown that when um, beavers have been brought down to severe, no, severely low numbers or even eliminated in areas, that that area experiences environmental degradation. So something as simple as a beaver can save a forest, let alone all the other animals that have their own roles to play. And nobody ever thinks about that. And so there, you know, that's that's significant. On top of that, urban sprawl, human beings with their large cities filled with concrete and running motors and you know, localized pollution and everything create what we call microclimates. So where the temperatures in cities are that much hotter than if you were to go into um, uh, a more uh, wooded area or a more na a natural area. Um, so thunderstorms are stronger in cities than they would be out in uh, mountain areas. Uh, we see because there's a heat dome effect around cities specifically. So it actually changes and creates a microclimate. It's very interesting. Now, astrologically, I think we're in a period right now where, and this is where I, I talk about long-range climate trends, we focus on Pluto. Okay, That's the one that looks at the big picture of the planet. But it also looks at the big picture in terms of how we are shifting as a civilization. And right now, Pluto is moving from Capricorn into Aquarius. Okay, now these two signs is all every single time, these every 300 years or so, three, 360 years, we've got uh, massive climate shifts every time Pluto goes into these two signs. You talk about Capricorn. Well, Pluto in Capricorn creates a necessity for a global restructuring of sorts. What Capricorn loves to do, it needs to, it needs to, needs to build, it needs to restructure, realign, it needs to uh, rethink our rules as to, in terms of how we do things. Um, so this is where you're starting to see, even in our own culture, the need to change a whole bunch of environmental laws and all these kinds of things are coming in place. Now, Aquarius is going to create a type of new revolution. Okay, Pluto in Aquarius is going to bring a revolution to environmental science, how we treat the environment. So you're going to start to see one of the things that is associated with Aquarius is technology. So what we're going to see is this technological revolution when Pluto is in Aquarius. And so we're going to start to see these amazing, innovative new types of systems in both agriculture, in terms of transportation, in terms of energy production. I think we're on the cusp with Pluto and Capricorn in terms of uh, uh, an inc uh, incredible revolution. So this is where we, we could start to see, um, you know, everything from, you know, hydrogen technology to nuclear, maybe fusion, maybe yeah, all these types of um, factors that could come into play that will ultimately he help them environmental um, conditions, not only globally, but on a localized scale. Um, so I think it's see. And people always argue, you know, well, there's too many people. Actually, no. If you understand um, the resource versus use balance, um, the only thing that's wrong, and I used to, I used to, you know, back way back when I was a teenager, I had, you know, a part-time job at Safeway, and I would be shocked at how much food good food got thrown away. And that was just in one grocery store. I was like, my God, you could feed half a city or you know, half a town with this food. 
what is going this is still perfectly good food to eat but no the presentation has to be right or people won't buy it and multiply that by millions of grocery stores around the world oh my so there's no shortage of food it's how we're using that food it's how we're using you know uh uh our resources you know we you know we talk about um so really it's a lack of efficiency that really is it's just we've become wasteful um so resources is not the issue we have tons of resources we've just become wasteful in how we use those resources and so we become a throwaway society whereas in the past you know you used to buy an appliance and it would last you a lifetime i used to have an, we have an old refrigerator here back from the 1970s it's still going. We got a new refrigerator a few years ago. And it's already broken down once. And now they're creating products where you can't repair them anymore. You have to get a brand new one. Um, and so what, what do you do with all that waste? You throw it away. And that translates psychologically into the human condition as well, where we become a throwaway society physically with our physical things. But that then translates personally into our relationships. Now people don't want to work through stuff anymore. If it doesn't work out quickly, throw the relationship away. Let's get a different one. So people have become, um, this, this filters into our, our, our consciousness in every other way. You know, um, So we need to start becoming more conscious and conscientious of how we are using our products that we purchase are the, the the anything that we need from our clothing to our food we have to really you know there's going to be luxuries in life that of course we all want to have but that we have to determine what is a luxury versus what is a need you know people don't need uh you know a 5000 square foot home for two people that's a luxury we only human beings only need a you know small comfortable warm secure space to be happy that and safe that way. So we don't need that. We don't need, you know, uh, something, you know, a vehicle that costs us $100,000. A $5,000 car will get you to the same place. So there's luxuries versus needs. Now, I'm not saying if, if you got the 100 grand and you want to get that luxury item, absolutely get it, but appreciate it and don't be wasteful of it, you know. Um, so, this is a part of human consciousness that, as well, uh, Pluto and Aquarius, and of course, Pluto being the planet of transformation and change and regeneration and death and rebirth and all of that. In Aquarius, it means we're also going to be going through a conscious revolution inside of us as human beings. And of course, Aquarius, we know, is associated with groups and organizations, humanity and community and, you know, people in general. So we're going to be looking at uh, a revolution in terms of our civilization and our conscious um, connection with not only ourselves as a civilization, but with nature. That's that's the positive route that we can go with this. So much to think about there. Um, as you were talking, I was remembering very recently I saw this little clip of someone talking about what they called geohacking. That's what they called it, geohacking. And it's this idea of um, inventing or creating a circumstance that is so radical that it affects consciously, deliberately affects the weather. 
And that is the whole intention behind it. So they were talking about how all these different things can be done uh, to lower the temperature of the earth, for example. So they were saying, like, paint all the roofs white. Let's start there. Paint all the roofs white. And that in and of itself will reduce the temperature, the core temperature of the earth. And I'd never considered that. Some things are as simple as that. And then some things are a lot more, uh, you know, dramatic or or advanced, scientifically advanced. But it's a fascinating thing to consider. Absolutely. There's so much that we could do that we, you know, uh, animals, coming back to that original um, uh, question, they have they have to adapt to their environment in order to survive. Human beings don't do that. We do the opposite. We're like, no, the environment has to adapt to what I want, to what I need. And so, for example, yeah, in Canada, for example, it would be a really good idea to maybe paint all the roofs on our houses black. Why? Because we have way more winter than we do summer. And then we can warm our home, you know, the, the heat, the radiant heat of the sun hitting a, a dark, you know, black roof can really warm up your house a lot more. That means you have to use less heating in your home to be able to warm up your house. If you live further south, you know, where it's hot, paint your roofs white. That will help keep your houses cool. People who live in Tornado Alley or in Florida, the hurricane or in, hur- in the in hurricane regions, they should be building their houses in the form of pyramids or domes. Those, those types of structures would be impervious to strong winds. There wouldn't be the loss of life or damage. But no, everybody has to build houses. Everything looks the same. And no, humans have to adapt to their distinctive environment. So if you live in a particular region, you've got to adapt to that particular climate. You've got to adapt to the particular needs. If you're in a drought region, you've got to use less water, not pump out as much water as you can from an aquifer that's already running low or might not last forever and fill up every single home in a desert with a swimming pool. I mean, it's it's like, you, so everybody has to learn how, you know, if you live in an area with plenty of water, go to town with swimming pools, you know, you got a lot of it, but you just, so adaptability to where you live is key to working more in harmony with the environment to plant the crops that are more attuned to the weather of your region. Therefore, uh, a, a country can have a cuisine that is more accustomed to that particular region instead of planting foreign crops, crops that you know shouldn't be growing in your area because it's the wrong climate. And in order to grow them, we've got to add extra fertilizer, extra pesticides, extra chemicals, extra gene editing in order for them to force them to grow in a climate they're not supposed to. And again, that's that human consciousness of saying, no, I want I want nature to bow before me because I want to have this here, as opposed to saying, no, I need to be humble to nature and learn how she works in order to live in harmony with her. And so humanity has got to get a big slap in the wrist because unfortunately we're doing everything wrong not everything but a whole bunch of things and so when it comes so this is what i mean climate our society civilization they're all intricately intricately linked and so um you know if if 
now coming back to that farming uh, idea, it doesn't mean we don't have to eat foods that we don't normally grow. Like we can't grow pineapples in Canada, okay? But we can import them from some an area that does grow pineapples. Um, but don't try to force grow pineapples here because that means you're going to have to use all that much more artificial means in order to force them to grow. And that itself creates a kind of a bad food product as well because that little pineapple is not going to be happy growing in Canadian soil. So it brings with it that energy that when you consume it might not be good as well from an energetic perspective. And uh, even nutritionally, it would be different. So we have to think about um, how do we, um, how can we adapt better to, to um, not only creating our architecture, our agriculture, that so it's not as forced um, on our climate. Uh, in especially our, our general region. Um, so again, if you're in a drought-prone area, you plant drought-resistant drought crops. If you live in a very wet area, you plant um, crops that really uh, thrive in heavy moisture. Um, that's the idea. And then, you know, I guess then you create a harmony. Um, and you create a bounty, and then you can create, um, you know, more prosperity overall. So that's, uh, I don't know if I answered the question. Yes, but, absolutely. Yeah. The interaction with our environment, bringing ourselves into harmony with it, it has a ripple effect that brings harmony within ourselves, within our spirit, um, with our resources, with an energy of ease and abundance is often associated with ease and it all ends up working very holistically in our own lives, especially as individuals. And I understand that uh, it's this interesting contrast, like because Aquarian and Pluto and Aquarius, and you're talking about, you know, technological advancements and all of that. And so, yeah, a lot of that is us saying, no, I want it to be the way I want it to be. Right. So I'm going to invent something to make it go the way I want it to go or at least to solve something that happened because somebody else said, no, I'm going to make it this way. And it led to an outcome. Now we got to deal with that symptom or outcome. And so I understand that part of it. But then there's also the contrast, which is, hey, how about just listening? Instead of doing, doing and making it happen, how about pausing, paying attention, uh, understanding that can be a way also to bring positive events to come about with our climate, listening to our world, listening to our climate. I spent, uh, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Yeah. So I spent uh, three months, those who watch me regularly know, uh, I love to travel. I slow travel. I went uh, to Brazil um, in February. I was there for three months and every day, just about every day, I swam in the Atlantic Ocean. And what I learned about myself, just sitting there and listening to the water, but my most favorite thing was just riding the wave, right? Like I, there would be surfers around me and I didn't want to get up on the surfboard, but I would make my body like a surfboard basically. And I would make myself very mm -hmm. straight so that I could feel the rise and the fall of the tides. And I did that every day. And it was my most fun, most favorite thing to do. 
And wow, did I ever learn so much about myself by just listening to the water, aligning my energy with the water. Um, it was life-changing. It really was. And I imagine that we can do something like that, no matter where we are, aligning mm. ourselves with our environment. 100%. 100%. You know, and as I mentioned earlier, the civilization, I'm also, you know, avid student of history. Um, if you look back at all civilizations in our past, the the majority of civilizations that collapsed were the ones that never took care of their environment. They never took care. They didn't listen to what their environment was telling them. Um, and, you know, people don't realize how important just going out and breathing in the fresh air and feeling the sunshine on your face, um, you know, um, feeling the wind, you know, uh, you know, on your skin, um, uh, feeling your bare feet on the earth, um, how that reconnects us as to who we truly are and where we come from. You know, people have created the separation between humanity and nature. There's no difference. We are nature. Humanity is a part of nature. We're not separate from it. But there's been this consciousness, this rip in consciousness um, that has separated us from where we truly belong. You know. Um, and whether that is on a personal level or even, you know, applying it to our science and technology and, and, and adapting to our our environment. You know, I just, uh, case in point, like uh, in Germany right now, you know, they've been, uh, this is part of that whole force thing. Um, they try to create a sort of a net zero economy or for their energy sector. And they, you know, trying to rely on everything but solar and wind. Uh, which is great. Problem is, in Germany, for the land of Germany, in terms of its geography, terrible place for solar because there's no sun, very, very little sun. So they've had to, so they went through power outages, they went through all the, now they're turning back on their coal fire plants because they don't have enough power because they didn't listen to their environment. They, you know, in Alberta is a great place for solar, solar panels. Arizona, California, you know, all, there's so many places that are fantastic for solar panels. You could do it with solar, but in some places you can't. You can't do, you know, Vancouver would be a terrible place for solar panels and England wouldn't be great either. You have to find an alternate. So, you know, where it's windier, use wind. Where there's more sun, use sun. But in other places where there's none of those, you've got to find some sort of alternative because those are the... So the point is, is that we have to just Go out. It's sunny. Yes, this is all the time. You know, most of the time it's sunny. I can use solar or I can plant crops that are going to be more for, you know, drought. If it's rainier and cloudier, all right, maybe I can rely more on hydro or I can rely more on because there's a lot of water here and I can plant more, you know, uh, crops that are um, that, you know, that thrive in, in, in wet environments. So well, if you did that, man. Every society would be thriving. You can't stamp a one solution fits all to a world that's filled with variety. It just will not function, and it's just um, and um, so it's that's going to create crises, little crises on its own. And so all of these things are not thought about. Like they're <laughs> like if right now with the heat waves, everybody's using their air conditioners. 
you know, and there are all these electrical alerts. The grid is at its max. It's going to collapse. Blackouts are coming. And that's without millions of um, of uh, electric cars not being plugged in yet. Now, what happens when you add millions of those being plugged in? There is not enough power in our grid. We have to create an immense amount of power. So people are not, I don't, I don't know, the, 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 the scientists are not explaining it to the policymakers correctly or what's going on, but it's, 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 the math doesn't add up. So you have to find ways like electrical will work great in certain places. So electric cars might work great in Arizona and California, but in Canada, maybe hydrogen is a better uh, uh, technology to use, you know, a clean technology we can use. Um, so technology is not the problem. We have technology to function in all these different environments. We just got to choose the right technology for that particular environment. And instead of a one stamp fits all, which will never work. Yeah. So insightful. Now, Carl, before I let you go, because I did promise the audience, I said, oh, we're going to talk about what's coming up. And I know you talked about the big trend of Pluto in Aquarius, and that is so important. And, and so we've talked about that for quite a while. Before I let you go, is there like something you can tell us just about the next year or two or three, like something of interest that we might want to watch in terms of some more immediate weather uh, insights, transits to be on the, to be mindful of? Yeah, so a good time to ask this particular question because obviously when we look at the weather, we you know you know Canada, U.S., Mexico, Europe, you know Africa, Asia, they're all going to have their own specific weather patterns. So the best thing that I can do um, for the next two to three years is talk about Pluto because this is a critical turning point because Pluto is going to be in transition from it's going from Capricorn into Aquarius, right? So. Starting, it's already happening this year, um, and then we're going to really see it swing into the gear in 2024 and 2025. So watch this year, but especially next year and 2025 for the climate around the world. It's going to get a. You think it's been crazy? It's going to get a little crazier. So don't be surprised. What I mean by crazier, I mean extremes. There's going to be a lot of extremes as the energy begins its transition from Capricorn. In Capricorn, it was about a restructuring of global climate. So like a, a restructuring of it. In Aquarius, it's going to be revolution. So you're going to start to see weather in places um, that normally wouldn't experience certain types of weather. So this is where you might see snow where it never snowed before, or you know, severe drought and heat that you, in areas you've never seen before. Uh, again, Aquarius loves to break the rules, right? So it's like, oh, it's never rained there before. I'm going to send you lots of rain. Or you're used to rain. I'm not going to send you rain anymore. So you're going to start to see these really um, uh, breaking of the rule climate shifts that are start that are going to be happening. Now, with Aquarius in and of itself, and this is the next two years, um, in astrometeorology, um, Aquarius rules over things like extremes of weather. It tends to colder temperatures, cooler temperatures, um, generally speaking, but that doesn't mean um, that the heating is going to stop. The heating, what we're going to start to see are these bowls where certain areas are going to start to see these um, 
you know, bowls of heat remain over a certain area a lot longer than normal. And these bowls of cold um, stay longer over areas. So you're going to start to see these um, these um, uh, longer duration bowls, I guess the best way to describe them. And so that's going to be a worldwide phenomenon. So you're going to start to see areas where there's you know the severe rain and is going to hit and in some areas and it'll just stay and won't go away for a while and severe areas of dryness that won't go away for a while those are just examples um you're going to start to see um uh now aquarius loves to shake up the atmosphere aquarius loves storms and so you're going to start to see um storm systems um get a little bit more erratic more frequent or a little stronger that is just something that's going to happen during the transition. Think of it this way. You know, if you're sleeping in your bed and, you know, you're in a certain position for a while, you've gotten comfy and it's gotten to that place. Well, think of Mother Earth as being that way. She stays in a certain position for a while. But then there's time when you just, ah, something feels uncomfortable and you start to shake and then you got to move. You got to switch positions. So as you're switching positions, what happens to all your covers and your pillows? Sometimes you you throw them off and sometimes they go all over the place. And so during the shift, when you're switching sides in your bed, you create a little bit of chaos in that bed. And, and you know, the, the, the now the, the, the pillows are in a different position and the sheets are in a different position. Well, that's what mother nature is doing as well. She's kind of waking up from a bit of a, uh, a trend where she's gotten a bit comfortable in Capricorn. And now she's going to be shifting into Aquarius. And during that shift, 2024, 2025, it's about, you know, specifically when it shifts into Aquarius, those two years are going to see this, you know, um, interesting shift in um, in Earth's climate. And it's going to create a little bit more turbulence. But again, that is normal. The whole point is all you got to do is just adapt to whatever's happening at that time, wherever you are in your respective area, your respective region. And then she'll get into a long-term trend. Uh, she'll be in Aquarius until 2044, I believe, I think it was. And so it's, um, so then we're gonna be in this Aquarian energy until then. Now, what's interesting is after 2044, then once Pluto goes into Pisces, that is going to be more of a climatic healing event. So we're going to start to see the, the climate starting to actually heal itself and calm itself down actually after 2044. And so, uh, because as an astrometeorologist, we understand that these giant climate shifts happen once every 300, 360 years through Pluto. And we're in it right now, um, especially because it goes, it always creates these shifts during Capricorn and Aquarius without a fail. And then we enter into a brand new long-term 300, 350 year pattern. And so, um, so basically, uh, I, I, I think that between now and especially the next two years, you know, we're going to see all those covers and pillows get kind of a little crazy, but then Mother Nature is going to get into her position and then she's going to, you know, um, settle in into this new pattern until 2044. And then after that, though, it's, uh, think, think of uh, the, the, this, this analogy. So in Aquarius, Mother Nature is a little restless. When you're sleeping, sometimes you just, ah, you can't find the right position. You're a little hot. You take off the cover. Then you get cold and you put it back on again. And you're just, ah, 
So Mother Nature is going to be a little bumpy until 2044 that way, trying to find her comfort zone. And then when she goes into Pisces, she'll find her comfort zone. And then she'll then that's when things start to heal. So we just have to understand that that's basically the pattern and that's a normal, natural pattern. And we just got to, we, we've got to adapt to it, learn from it and be creative and inventive during that process. And we'll be fine. How interesting to learn more about astro meteorology. And once again, you guys, Carl is coming to the Canadian Astrology Conference, which is coming up really soon, the weekend of September 15th, 2023 in lovely Calgary, Alberta. It is going to be a party there, but you can also join us online as well and learn from Carl over the course of this very special event coming up very soon. Carl, thank you. It was so illuminating. I so uh, so learned so much about uh, weather and so much more through this conversation. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me. Thank you. And thank you, everybody out there for watching. Until we connect again, take care. Bye.